Welcome to the podcast of First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a welcoming and progressive Unitarian Universalist congregation deeply committed to love and justice. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Good morning. One of my favorite writers, Maya Angelou, once said, people forget what you said, forget what you did, but will never forget how you made them feel. I am a person who feels uncomfortable in predominantly white spaces, including my own church congregation. The feeling is rooted in hospitality, or in better words, the lack of hospitality. Hospitality is defined as people knowing they have the right to exist in open and common spaces, like churches, cafes, bookstores, parks, etc. But when you turn on the TV, open a newspaper, or any social media app, or even walk down the street, you'll see plenty of examples of non-hospitality towards black people. Some examples are obvious ones, like the time when a black Yale student had the cops called on her because she was sleeping in the common rooms. Or more recently, when a white woman was blocking a black man from entering his own condo because she didn't know him. Later, she explained in an interview that she did nothing wrong because she was following the directions given to her by the condo board members. Never allow access to anyone you don't know. This non-hospitality mindset of the directions we must follow to allow access to anyone we don't know and placing the burden of proof on the other person to prove their right to exist, to be given hospitality, explains why after a year of being back in Minnesota, I still don't feel comfortable in white spaces, including First Universalist. I moved back to Minnesota about almost 10 years ago of an absence, and since my return, I've been attending this church regularly. Yet I still get questions like, is this your first visit? Or have you just started coming here? Or what brings you here today? I've actually come to dread the welcome portion of the order's service, because instead of feeling invited, I feel belabored to once again prove my right to exist in this predominantly white space. That these are the questions people are told to ask anyone they don't know before allowing them access to the church. Access, which implies that there's a barrier or a gate in a space that's meant to be barrier-free and free for all. So let's take a look at the first question. Is this your first visit? Now, I completely understand. Our congregation is huge, but I'm a black dot in a sea of whiteness, so it's not like I can easily blend in and go unnoticed. Yet I have. So what do I do? I sign up to be a worship associate, so no one cannot see me now. Hi, everyone. But sadly, I also know I'm doing the belaboring act of proving my right to exist in this predominantly white space. So let's look at another question. Have you recently started attending? I give my most concise answer. No, I've been coming for a year now. Before that, I attended back in 2007 and 2008 before I moved away to Japan. I've also attended UU churches in the Bay Area and LA. Most people show more interest in the fact that I lived in Japan or LA, but don't ever seem to actually comment on the length of my attendance. That makes me realize I honestly don't understand the purpose of the question beyond people checking my attendance 
to determine if I have the right to exist in this predominantly white space. Now, I know I can hear the pushback already from my understanding of question number two. No, we asked that question to see if you're new, so we can invite you to other welcoming spaces after service, or tell you about services that the church provides that you may not know about. But why am I required to be new to be allowed access to other welcoming spaces? I'm emotionally taxed by having to prove I belong or I'm worthy to exist in this space within the first 15 minutes of every church service. Some days I struggle to even come because I don't want to deal with the emotional labor that comes with trying to push through this non-hospitality mindset. Still, I don't dream for our church to become a space of hospitality where people know they have the right to exist, but instead a space of radical hospitality. Radical hospitality for me is asking permission to give a stranger a hug at the end of service because I see them crying and I want them to know that they don't have to be alone in this moment of vulnerability. Radical hospitality for me is inviting someone, even strangers, into spaces of significance. Ceremonies, customary meals, rites of passage, and no one has to prove or defend why they are there. But how do we get there? The act of inviting someone into a space of significance is an act of love. And how do we do this act of love? To quote from Rumi, we must first understand this. Your task is not to seek for love, but to merely seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against it. So let's intentionally work to seek and bring barriers within ourselves down so we can one day be a church of radical hospitality. After I finished seminary and got ordained, I found that I was one of the only people in my graduating class who was not going off to a church to serve as their minister. Instead, I headed to a region of the country that was totally unknown to me, to the low country of Charleston, South Carolina, and I served as a hospital chaplain. And I expected to feel like an outsider in my neighborhood, in my predominantly Christian work environment, in my husband's military work environment, and in this new place where I didn't have any family or any friends. And I did feel like an outsider, but it was okay, because I knew I would have colleagues, other Unitarian Universalist ministers, among whom there was an understanding that we show up for each other, we support each other, even when we don't know each other. And I learned that my ministerial colleagues throughout the region got together once a month for support and conversation, which was great. I was going to get to be with my people. So once I got settled into my position at the hospital and I built up some PTO, I took a day off to drive two hours upstate to take part in this lunch. I arrived at a Thai restaurant in a strip mall. I was the first one there. One woman showed up, and then another, and that was it, the three of us. And do you know what? They were so disappointed to see me. 
by showing up, I had wrecked their regular lunch date. It appeared that what had once been a lunch that was genuinely open to everyone had dwindled down to something that was publicized as being open, but it was actually a group of a few particular people who got together once a month to catch each other up on their lives. And I showed up, and that was kind of annoying. They had to acknowledge me, they had to bring me up to speed on their personal storylines and struggles, they had to tolerate my presence. Expressing genuine interest in me and my experiences was a little too much to ask, so we didn't take it to that level. And on the two-hour drive home, I just found myself dumbfounded and shocked by the total lack of welcome. These were supposed to be my people, my tribe. I wondered, was it me? Had I been overly eager to connect? Did I seem desperate? Was I too young and too new to be taken seriously? Did I misunderstand this group entirely? But my most uncomfortable feeling was this. I could completely relate to these women and how they felt about me. I know exactly what it's like to be a part of a group that is ostensibly open, but where you actually hope that no one new ever comes. Or if someone new does come, you just hope that they would be the right fit and that nothing would ever actually change. And when we're in that place, it's not that we're bad people, or it's not even that we don't believe in hospitality. We do, we believe in it, but our better self gets overridden by this yearning, and we're just trying to do something about it. We yearn deeply for belonging, for love. We yearn to be in spaces where we can lay our troubles down where we can feel safe and seen and known. We yearn for wholeness and homecoming, that kind of homecoming that our traveler describes in this morning's reading. After so many disorienting turns and twists in the journey and thinking that everything might just be ruined, the traveler's greeted by a woman wearing the sun in her hair someone who loves them, someone who can say, what's kept you? The traveler made this person complete, and the traveler was more complete by having arrived. We want this so badly. We want it so badly that an unknown person gets cast as a threat and we get defensive and protective and controlling because they might mess it all up and then we won't get what we need. And then where will we be? We'll be alone, we'll be isolated, we will be unloved. It's so easy to talk about shared humanity. It is so easy to lose sight of it too. We forget our own experiences of being the stranger rescued by a warm welcome. We forget that everyone we've loved was once a stranger to us.
we lose our grasp on that bedrock of our universalist faith, that we all spring from the same source. We are all whole, we are all made from the same sacred stuff, and we are not complete without each other. It is also painful and overwhelming to witness the sheer amount of human need in this very broken world. We see suffering on the streets and in our families, in our social networks, in our work settings. And when we let ourselves really engage with current events with empathy, we are left holding grief about the brokenness of the world, grief about the deep human cost of hostility toward the stranger in need. We witness vulnerable children separated from their parents and still held in detention centers. We witness this administration shutting out refugees. These are people who are escaping war and persecution and other horrors. And here in Minnesota, we have proudly been one of our nation's key refugee resettlement sites. And just this past May, Catholic Charities closed down their refugee resettlement program because of the decrease in the amount of refugees this administration is permitting in. Not a decrease in the need, but the decrease in how many people are allowed to arrive and receive. We witness migrants from Central America hurting from unemployment and insufficient public services, fearing for their lives, wishing to apply for asylum. This past Thursday, in response to a caravan of migrants from Honduras, our president tweeted, I must, in the strongest of terms, ask Mexico to stop this onslaught, and if unable to do so, I will call up the U.S. military and, all caps, close our southern border. Shameful, shame. It is shameful and wrong to dehumanize, mistreat, and deny people who are suffering. And our work in this moment, in this sanctuary right now, is to speak truth together, to cultivate our hearts together, and to hold grief together. So I'd like to invite us to pause before we go any further and move from that more cerebral engagement with facts and with information and move down into our hearts just for a few beats. Maybe you'd like to close your eyes. Maybe you'd like to place your feet on the floor. Take a deep breath. And we're just going to hold this together, because that's what we can do right now. We hold in the light this morning all people whose lives are hanging in the balance right now. All people who fear for themselves, for their family, for their children. People who find themselves in a boat, in a truck, on the floor hanging on into the next moment and the next. Their humanity is our humanity. Heart thumping, stomach grumbling. Let us make room in our hearts this morning for people we don't know. People whose lives are just as valuable and of worth as ours. Darren reminded us this morning that making room is an act of love.
So we hold these people we have not yet met with love. And our work is to find all the barriers within ourselves that we have built against this. So I invite you to come back. You can open your eyes if they were closed. Open your eyes. Keep your hearts open too. So this is at the core of our universalist theology. And universalism has been around for at least a couple millennia in its current form. This belief in the fundamental unity of all life, that we spring from the same source, that we all return to the same source, that we are all made of sacred stuff, and no one gets left out. We are incomplete without each other. It's warm in here this morning. I'm going to invite you for a moment in your imagination to another warm place, to the desert of the Near East about 4,000 years ago. And this is the context uh, for the story of Abraham, a story that is the bedrock of all the Abrahamic traditions, Christianity, Judaism, Islam. If Bible stories aren't your favorite, just stick with me because we're going someplace good together. So some cultural notes. Hospitality was a matter of survival in the desert. In this harsh, arid climate, access to food and water were a matter of life and death for travelers. And most of the settlements were located near sources of water. So there were these strict, sacred codes of conduct that governed interactions between travelers, people who lived in the settlements, and also nomadic herding peoples in that area. And when the stranger appeared, the host was obliged to offer food, water, and shelter, and to accept responsibility for protecting the traveler. And the traveler was expected to accept this hospitality. And refusal to do either of these two things, refusal to make the offer or refusal to accept the offer, would be interpreted as an act of hostility. So this is serious business. And these were the customs that Abraham was observing in the story in the book of Genesis when three strangers approached his tent in the heat of the day. And Abraham ran out to greet them. He brought them water and a snack. He washed their feet. This is how you did things. He and his wife, Sarah, created a lavish meal with special cakes and a tender calf to these unknown visitors. And then the visitors shared some news that was so weird that it made Sarah laugh out loud. The news was that Abraham and Sarah, who were very advanced in age at this point, over 100 years old, they were going to bring a child into the world. A great gift was on, their way in, on its way into their lives, and the news came to them from three strangers who arrived out of nowhere. Unexpected divine guests breaking in and offering a blessing or a gift. This is a very common motif in stories from all the great religious traditions. So why? Well, there's a very pragmatic answer, right? These stories help to discourage conflict and encourage kindness and harmony. 
But my colleague over at Unity Unitarian across the river, the Reverend Karen Herring, suggests something more. That when a culture makes little room for the unknown and the unfamiliar, the sacred must break in without invitation. When a culture makes little room for the unknown and the unfamiliar, the sacred must break in without invitation. What would it mean to expect the sacred to break into our lives in the form of a stranger? To approach the unexpected, unknown person, not only as fully human, with a total right to be there, not only as fully connected to us, but as a sacred messenger. How would the fabric of our country change if we approached the immigrant or the person is seeking asylum, someone whose differentness systems of oppression have taught us to fear, to approach these people as sacred messengers? And how would this orientation open our hearts right now in Minnesota as the leaves are changing on this cusp of winter when many of us are heading into the private world of our homes, when our interactions with those outside our closest circles are diminishing, when warmth and a safe place to rest and basic medical needs become even more serious concerns for people in our city. Well, our tradition tells us that welcoming the unexpected, uninvited, unknown guest as a sacred messenger would mean more wholeness, more integrity, greater quality of life, and completeness for us all, that our yearnings would start to be met. And it would also be very complicated and disruptive and radically countercultural and probably scary and it would bring up grief about the world's deep brokenness because we can't offer hospitality in a new way without having to reckon with the barriers that kept us from reaching out. And it is hard to witness suffering. And as with all journeys, this journey begins in the beginning. And every new day, like today, Every new day we are given is an opportunity for a new beginning and to discover more completeness. So if the sacred breaks in without invitation, we would do well to make room. And Dutch theologian Henri Nouwen has a different phrase for this that I love. He frames this as creating an emptiness that will lead us into greater wholeness. He writes that when hostility is converted into hospitality, then strangers become guests, revealing to their hosts the promise that they are carrying with them. And then the distinction between host and guest proves artificial and evaporates in the recognition of a newfound unity. Hospitality, therefore, means primarily the creation of a free space where strangers can enter and become a friend instead of an enemy. And the paradox of hospitality is that it wants to create emptiness. Not a fearful emptiness, but a friendly emptiness where strangers can enter and discover themselves as created free.
this is our practice. To put down our phone and our tablets and close our laptop and to make room. Not just physical room at the dinner table or in the pew, but to create room within ourselves, create a friendly emptiness inside. This asks us to let go of ego, to let go of outcomes, to let go of expectations and agendas, and to receive a person with warmth, curiosity, and gratitude. To approach a person as a sacred messenger, as someone who makes life more complete. And we are not going to change ourselves and our hearts and our world by knowing this. I'm really good at knowing stuff. Maybe you are really good at knowing things. But change happens when we practice things. And so this practice can start for all of us this morning. It can start with an open-hearted greeting after the service or in the social hall. You've got a great guide to opportunities to practice making room in your hands in the order of service. If you're in your 20s and 30s, you can meet down in the social hall at 1245 and head over to lunch at Gigi's. I want to mention that my life was changed by meeting with other young adults after the, social, uh, after the service in the social hall in uh, probably 2004. And I joined a church and ended up becoming a UU minister. So who knows what will happen to you <laughs> if you meet with other young adults for lunch after the service. On October 30th, come and learn about the Immigration Court Observation Project. This is a concrete way that you can uphold the humanity and rights of migrants navigating our justice system. And what more appropriate place to practice welcoming the stranger than being a Sunday morning greeter on our welcome teams. This is the embodiment of what we're talking about this morning. And it's easy, it's fun, it's flexible. I want to dispel a myth about welcome teams that has been going around this church. You don't have to make coffee. It's true. You just need to like people and show up. And we have lots of spaces available. So if you'd like to help out with this, please approach Sandy down in the social hall at the information table. And I'd also like to issue a challenge. It's not in your order of service. In this season of lessening light and closing doors, I want to challenge myself and you to open up your doors, to invite someone in. And I know this sounds very simple. I did not invent this idea. But I don't mean to actually think about doing this. I mean to actually do it, to hold that friendly emptiness in your heart and to plan on inviting someone you don't know into your space in the next couple of months. It could be a meal, it could be a walk, it could be in a waiting room or at a meeting if that's what's available to you. You can schedule it out in advance if that's your style or you can just create that friendly emptiness in your heart. You can go ahead and add an extra chair to the table so that when the opportunity presents itself, you are in ready position. 
consider setting an extra place at a holiday meal. You've heard this a million times. I've heard this a million times. I have never done this in my life. Maybe this is the holiday where you invite someone you don't know to join you. And if you feel like your things aren't nice enough or that your family is embarrassing, then I want to give you extra encouragement because that will just make you all the more relatable and human. And I don't think perfection was ever listed among any desirable friend qualities that I've ever heard. And if you do this, please send me an email and tell me what happened. You can find it on our website. I would really love to know what happened when you made room for someone if you felt like this was some kind of encounter with a sacred messenger, or whether you found some gift in it. So, from our reading this morning. We are doing the impossible. We are teaching ourselves to understand ourselves and our journeys together. When we are finished, the strands which connect us will be unbreakable. We tell you this, when we are finished, we will be a proud people. We are making ready. We are not complete without each other, so we are making ready. Amen and blessed be. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text first UNIV, that's F-I-R-S-T, UNIV to 73256 to make your gift. If you are able to join us in person for Sunday worship, we'd love to see you in church. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.